morning sports fans betters and cappers and welcome to the daily competitive hedge podcast i'm your host of the show kenneth cotterell and this morning show is all about sports and the world of betting we talk about a few results from yesterday's games talk about a couple headlines as well before we get into today's betting slate and we cap it off with our top five favorite plays of the day three of which will be featured in our competitive hedge parlay of the day Posted on our social media accounts later today. Now, our episode today is brought to you by our sponsor, Bet99. Bet99 is a Canadian sportsbook and casino that offers in-play betting, player props, a cash-out option, and many more great products. There are a variety of sports available on the website to bet on, including NHL, NBA, NFL, and MLB. Bet99 works smoothly on both desktop and mobile, and their mobile app can be downloaded from the homepage of the website. Now, depositing and withdrawing funds is hassle-free with a number of well-known methods available to use so you know your money is safe and secure. The website can be viewed in both English and French, and customer service is available 24-7 with their live chat option. So go to bet99.com to make an account today. To get started, please gamble responsibly. You must be 19-plus years of age and available to persons in Ontario. Now let's talk about yesterday's recap. Betting wise, we went three and three as a show. Uh, we were two and one on the parlay side of things. Unfortunately, the parlay missed because of one of our biggest misses possibly in show history, that being the Seattle Storm and Chicago Sky. We took the under 164 and a half. And when a WNBA game covers the over at the end of three quarters, then you definitely know that you misjudged a game. And that happened yesterday. It was the third highest scoring game of the year. 111 to 100 was the final there. So a big oof on that one. But we did cash the Toronto Blue Jays and Baltimore Orioles over eight and a half. That game finished six to five. We had the under on the Marlins and Phillies game. Four to one was the final for the Marlins. We missed on the Yankees money line. Unfortunately, they just scored no runs. One to nothing was the final in 13 innings. We got a bit greedy with Garrett Cole's K-line. We could have got it over 7.5 at at some worse odds, but we went with the 8.5, and and unfortunately he finishes on 8 exactly. So big oops on that one. And then to cap it off, we had the Braves and Red Sox over 9.5. That one hit with ease. 9-7 to was the final. Now let's talk about some of the other results from yesterday. We had the Royals won 4-2 over the White Sox, but then in the doubleheader, the second game, we had the White Sox, they won 3-2 over the Royals. Then we had the Mets, they won 6-2 versus the Reds. Great pitching performance by Carrasco yesterday, 6 and two thirds with 9Ks, great result for him. The Cleveland Guardians won 5-2, shout out to the Give Back Gamblers in their survivor pool, we are on the Guardians yesterday. So 5-2 to two final there. Shane Bieber pitched seven innings with eight Ks. 
great for my fantasy team despite being eliminated from playoffs already. Then we also had the Nationals won 6-5 to five over the Cubs, and the Cubs were a game that we were looking at potentially for that survivor pool and hopping on. Luckily, we faded at the last minute, so the Nationals win there on the road. The Brewers won 5-3 to three at home versus the Rays. We had the Rangers were up big early on, 4 to nothing, but they lose 7-5 to five to the Astros. Then we had the Rockies 6-5 to five over the Cardinals. A lot of people were on the Cardinals, and they were pretty heavy favorites, but... They jumped out to a 12 to nothing lead, was never particularly close. The Padres won 7-4 over the Giants. The Diamondbacks won 6-4 over the Pirates. The Angels won 5-1 over the A's with Otani on the mound. And then the Dodgers win with these 10-3 to cap it off for the day. As far as other WNBA action goes, the Aces won 97-90 over the Atlanta Dream. Aja Wilson with a massive 24-point, 14-rebound double-double. And then the Connecticut Sun, they blew out the LA Sparks 97-71, to 71, thanks to John Cole Jones, 21-10. and 10. Then we had a ton of <laughs> English Cup soccer yesterday. Not going to get into all of those betting lines. A lot of teams, as we said yesterday, that we're not particularly familiar with. We're waiting until we get into rounds two and three to start betting on League Cup action. Now, the big news yesterday had to be Serena Williams will be retiring from tennis after the U.S. Open. The 40-year-old has won 23 major titles, and she said she just wants to move on, focus on family and business, and can you really blame her? She's definitely the greatest of all time in her era, uh, if not in general. She she was phenomenal for the sport. We saw uh, players like Coco Goff and Brianna Andrescu were talking about her and, and the impact that she's had on the women's game, and so it's going to be a sad day when Serena retires. She's been one of the biggest athletes period of this generation so i'm hoping that she gets an extended run at the u.s open maybe even potentially goes on and wins gets that 24th major title to cap off an incredible career now on the golf side of things cameron smith officially joins live golf it sounds like mark leishman might be joining him as well as fellow countrymen they're estimating it at over a hundred million dollars to do so and people talked a lot about when phil went over you know, the impact that he had just from, in general, what he's done for the game. A lot of people talked about Dustin Johnson when he went over from a competition standpoint. But the world number two going over to Live Golf has to be the biggest signing that they've had. DJ's great, but he wasn't playing great when he went over. Now the PGA Tour guys, they also can't play in the FedEx Cup. But this might change by next season. This isn't going to last. These fields are improving from the Live Golf side of things. They're going to have some of these lesser golfers drop off. They're going to continue to add tour pros as well. And so things might change on the golf rankings front. They might even change from competition aspect. The ratings have not been great for live out of the gate, but the more people they add, the more guys that head over, the more countries that get involved in this, we're going to see a big change on that front moving forward. Now, Roquan Smith, he requested a trade yesterday from the Chicago Bears, and do you really blame the guy? They're not in win-now mode. They ditched Khalil Mack in the offseason, sent him to the Chargers, and so he's probably feeling like he doesn't want to be a part of this rebuild that they have going on in Chicago, and so he demanded a trade. We'll see if he gets traded before the season starts. Now let's talk about today's bets, the betting slate overall. We've got World Juniors action today. A couple plays there that we like. They're not a part of our official card 
but we're going to chat about them anyways. Sweden taking on Switzerland. Sweden's minus two and a half and the over-under is six and a half in this game. This is the one that we're staying away from. And it's not that we don't love Sweden. It's that the Swiss in these tournaments, they they can cause some issues. And so while I would like to take Switzerland plus two and a half, I'm just going to wait and see how they do against Sweden. They might be a team to bet later on in the tournament to keep some games close. Canada minus six and a half in a hockey game versus Latvia. Over under there is eight. I still love the spread here. I think Canada's going to hit the over. They've got Connor Bedard leading this group. So I'm expecting over eight goals. I could see 8-1-9-1 type finish here. And so I like the over as well as the Canada spread. And then Germany minus one and a half. They're taking on Austria. I like the Germans today. They're minus 155 for that spread. So it's still a little bit juiced. But I also see this game going under. I think it's going to be a 4-1, 4-2 type finish. And so I still like Germany and the under in those games. Now let's talk about some of the other games that we have on the slate today. Uh, as far as betting goes, WNBA-wise, we've got a couple games. You got the New York Liberty and the Dallas Wings. They played just a couple days ago, and the game ended 86-77. to And these are a couple teams that are still battling it out to potentially get into the WNBA playoffs. Now the Wings are minus 5.5. And so the over-under there, it has since moved to 161.5. This is going to be a part of our official card in a few minutes, but just wanted to chat about. And then the Phoenix Mercury, they're taking on the Minnesota Lynx. Uh, the Lynx opened at minus 2.5. They're now minus 4.5 on the road. And so Phoenix being the home team here, they need to pick up a win if they want to have a hope of making the playoffs still as we wind down the WNBA season. Now, when we're talking MLB-wise, absolutely full slate today on that front. So we're going to quickly touch on some of these games. Tayon Walker on the mound for the Mets versus the Reds. Mets are minus 320. The run line there is minus 145. Don't hate that run line today. Not high on the Reds at all. And so I think the Mets are going to cover that fairly easily. Maybe even potentially look at minus 2.5 if you're looking for some plus odds there. Then you got the Brewers, they're minus 160 versus the Rays. Staying away from that game as you've got Woodruff for the Brewers and Springs for the Rays. Then we've got Cubs and Nationals once again today. Nationals upset them yesterday, but the Cubs are favored once again today at home for this one. They are minus 175 with Steel on the mound. We're staying away from A's and Angels. A's are, A's are minus 125 at home, so we're staying away. Then we've got the Padres and Giants. This will be a part of our official card later on, but you've got Manea and Junis on the mound. Mariners and Yankees, you've got Ray versus Cortez. The Phillies versus the Marlins, you've got Syndergaard versus Alcantara, the absolute machine that is Sandy Alcantara this year for that Marlins team. Then you got the Blue Jays. They're minus 150 against the Orioles. you got Berrios versus Kremer. And then you got the Braves, minus 145 against the Red Sox. It's Wright versus Pavetta. Another high spread here, or another high over-under at nine runs. Then you've got Guardians minus 175 versus the Tigers. Eight is the over-under, and you got Savale versus Hutchinson. Then you've got the Astros, the, the heaviest favorite today. They're minus 340 with Verlander on the mound against Otto. Over-under line is seven and a half. You got the White Sox minus 140 versus the Royals. Cardinals are minus 155, favored again against the Rockies. You got minus 155 for the Diamondbacks against the Pirates. That's Bumgarner versus Keller. And then you have Jackson versus Gray. The Dodgers are minus 155 against the Twins. 
So let's get into the early hedge five. These are the early five plays that we like this morning. And the lines have even moved since we put together this list. And so you might want to bet them now if you do like some of these teams. But Yankees in Seattle, we're going to take the over seven and a half today. Nestor Cortez, he's only given up one run per game in his last five starts. He usually goes about five or six innings. But I do think Seattle are one of the better teams that he's faced. And so I see them getting to him at least for a couple runs today. And same on the Robbie Ray front. Um, he can give up one run or six runs really quickly. And so I think after the one to nothing game yesterday, we see more runs today. The bats get going. And so I like the over seven and a half. Then we've got the Royals and Padres over eight and a half as well. Junis has played well recently in his last four starts. He's given up just shy of two earned runs per game, but he only goes three or four innings. And with this Padres lineup, I think they're going to score plenty of runs today. Manea is also coming off of an eight-earned run, run performance, and so he may have some issues once again today. I think this is going to go over fairly early. I think it's going to blow past by maybe even a half dozen runs. I think it's going to be very high scoring today. Then we've got the Rangers and Astros under seven and a half. I just love Verlander. Absolute shocker, right, that I like Verlander. But I think he's going to pitch a gem today. I know that Otto is also solid, though, so I think it's going to be lower scoring. 3-1, to 4-1 to one type finish in this game. So I like the under here. Then we've got the uh, Dallas Wings and the New York Liberty. We're taking over 160 and a half. We're buying that point to get to minus 134. And it's because Dallas has consistently been around 162 to 170 range in most of their games. The last game that these two played was 163. So just want to give ourselves a little bit of breathing room here. A Liberty win could make things very interesting in the Eastern playoff race as the Liberty are going to close out with the Atlanta Dream in back-to-back games. A win tonight would pull them even heading into those games. And then the one play that we like that's the upset of the day is going to be the Phoenix Mercury money line at home against Minnesota at plus 140. The Mercury don't have Diana Taurasi. That's the big news there uh, in her last season. But Phoenix are at home. Uh, the Lynx are 5-5 five and five in their last 10, as are the Mercury. I think they're pretty evenly matched. And so I'm going to take the home team here to get it done and give themselves a great shot at making playoffs this year, despite no Tarasi. So that's our Hedge 5 plays of the day. Thank you, everyone, who listened today. If you are listening to the podcast episode, stay tuned. Keep tuning in as we have our Cincinnati Bengals preview show. We've got Taylor Cornell from the Who Day Den podcast. We talk Bengals expectations, bets, and fantasy football value. Welcome back to the Competitive Hedge podcast. It is August 10th, which means we are on our 10th NFL team preview show. Uh, This is the, the third team that we have from this division, the AFC North. And so the team today is the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, today I'm joined by a first time guest of the show. He is the Who Day Den, a Bengals podcast host. He is which has 70 episodes, definitely go and check it out on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And so he is a diehard Bengals fan. I'm excited to have him on today. He's a good friend of Couch Coach Live, friend of this show as well. And that is Taylor Cornell. Taylor, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing awesome. Always excited to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, You know, it's like one of the cool subjects, you know, someone invites you to talk about your favorite team, the team you follow closely and your passion seeps out naturally into the conversation. <laughs> so I always get excited, get amped up about this, especially when you've got a good team like Cincinnati to root for. So 
and I've and I've seen every end of the spectrum. I'm a Dallas fan, so so I had to <laughs> let the fandom kind of not seep in a little bit too much. But then you, I've had on Falcons fans, which obviously they, they're maybe Yikes. in more of rebuild mode. So it's it's not as exciting of a conversation, but it is a good conversation nonetheless. So I'm excited to talk about the Bengals today. And how can you not given we're going to talk about the recap of that 2021-2022 season, a season that I think they were the darlings of the NFL last year. Let's call them what they were. They were not expected to have the year that they had. And, you know, they had four pro bowlers on the roster. They went 10 and seven as a team. Then they got into the playoffs and anarchy kind of ensued at that point. They, they knocked off Raiders in the wildcard weekend. Then they beat the Titans in the divisional round. And then they beat Kansas city in a great come from behind win in the AFC championship game. They went all the way to the Super Bowl, unfortunately falling to the Rams, but as a lifetime Bengals fan, you got to be absolutely thrilled with how last season went. Talk me through what it was like the 2021-2022 season. Yeah, I mean, how much time do you have? Because <laughs> the, the season was so so crazy leading up to, I mean, if you go all the way back to training camp, even if you didn't follow the Bengals, you probably heard some of the Jamar Chase drops issues was big. And Joe Burrow, especially from beat writers in Cincinnati, Joe Burrow did not look good in training camp, looked uncomfortable coming back from the knee surgery. And even into the early part of the season, he looked a little bit rusty, probably for the first month to six games. They really weren't letting him cut it loose yet. Uh, he wasn't scrambling much. He was really a statue back there in the uh, backfield after he took a snap. So the season started off with expectations, but kind of tempered expectations. And as you start winning games and really it was after our bye week week 10, where we really started to gain some steam. We had the throttling of Baltimore where Joe Burrow goes for 500 yards. We have beating Kansas city. The first time you start picking up some steam. And once we clinched the clinch, the division, that's a feeling I have felt before in my lifetime, back in the Carson Palmer days, even in the Andy Dalton days, we won some division titles. The issue was getting over the hump, winning a playoff game. So you you have this excitement, but in the back of your mind, you still have this, hey, I've been a Bengals fan my entire life. I kind of know how this ends. And beating the Raiders at home, wild card weekend, I was at the game, was one of the most... Uh, surreal feelings I think to be there in person because for those that don't root for the team that don't follow the team super closely maybe you can relate depending on the team you root for but it had been 30 years since we won a playoff game so for my entire life I had never experienced a playoff win for most of this generation of Bengals fans they had never experienced a playoff win so to get that first one that elusive one that you know, we hadn't been able to get even with the great teams of Carson Palmer and Chad Echocinco, the teams with Andy Dalton and AJ Green, they couldn't do it. And to get that first win felt like a weight off our shoulders. And I think the team probably didn't feel quite as much that. I mean, the team's full of 22 to 24 year olds that didn't follow the team for the past yeah. 30 years. So they don't feel that pressure necessarily. I'm sure they feel a little bit from the city, but I felt like our team did play very loose than the rest of the playoffs. I mean, they looked loose against Tennessee, even though they had their struggles at times and against Kansas City. So winning those games, it just kept snowballing. And, <laughs> and I was at the Kansas City game as well. And winning that game on a, uh, you know, Evan McPherson kick and realizing, wait a second, we're going to the Super Bowl. Uh, something <laughs> I've never even, I mean, what, three weeks prior, I'd never seen a playoff win. And now all of a sudden we're in the Super Bowl. So it was um, it was a surreal season. It was exciting. And then 
it's a weird ending, right? You had all this excitement and then it's over just like that. And it didn't end with a Super Bowl win. So it still kind of left a bad taste in your mouth. But overall, you know, you look back at the season and say, great season. We really enjoyed it. Yeah. Given I'm a Dallas fan and a younger Dallas fan at that, I, I 100% get the the lack of playoff success. It's made a lot of in the Dallas media and whatnot. And so yeah. I can only imagine going on a run like that, especially there were some expectations, but not a lot. I mean, you look back even at the draft, the whole Penae Sewell and Jamar Chase controversy, and everyone's like, well, they're not taking care of Joe Burrow. And then suddenly they look like geniuses because the connection of those two was absolutely phenomenal. If you're a fantasy owner of Jamar Chase, especially you were a oh, huge yeah. fan of his and, and he's got a lot of expectations heading into this year from that. But as you said, it, it ended with a Super Bowl loss. So they're going to head into this season feeling like there's some unfinished business, but what can happen sometimes with teams is there's that Super Bowl hangover. Now, one thing that I like that you noted was this is a very young team, a lot of 22 to 24 year olds that are coming in and they may not have necessarily hit their prime yet. And so we could see a much improved Bengals team. We also know that they have one of the tougher schedules this year and they made some moves in the off season. They let CJ Uzama go. They bring in Hayden Hurst to try and replace him. They did beef up the O-line, try and take care of Joe Burrow a bit more moving forward. And then they drafted Daxton Hill, the safety out of Michigan in the first round. So this is a team that has some new pieces as well. They do have that main core of Burrow and Chase and Higgins. Like there's a lot of great weapons on that offense. So do you see this as a Super Bowl hangover? Or do you think this is a team that could exceed even what they did last year, maybe potentially go on and get it done this year? Yeah, I think that's a very timely question because I am almost finished with an article that uh, about the Super Bowl hangover. Is it a real thing? Does it happen? Does it exist? What does it look like? Because I had a conversation with a friend at work last week who was talking about he's a Chiefs fan and he said, hey, Super Bowl hangover is real. We lost to the Buccaneers and you saw we were sluggish to start the season. He said, remember the Panthers? They go 15 and one and the next season miss the playoffs. He's like, it's real. And I thought, what are the other examples other than those two teams? And even the Chiefs, they still made it to the AFC Championship. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, how much of a hangover is that? So I started to kind of look at, I, I just chose kind of arbitrarily the last 15 years, the team that has lost the Super Bowl to try to see what are we looking at here? And really, I don't think that there's a ton of trends that I've seen that I can say has me worried for the Bengals. The average uh, win differential for the team that lost the Super Bowl the following year was minus 2.8 wins, I believe. But a lot of those teams that went to the Super Bowl were winning 13, 14 games. Yeah. So it's hard to win 13 or 14 games season over season. You kind of would expect to lose a couple more, maybe. The Bengals only won 10 regular season games last year. So I, it's hard for me to say, well, they're going to only win eight this year because they're going to lose 2.8 more. Yeah. Uh, I think that there's a chance they do maybe start a little bit slower. There is some data that shows in the first half of the season, most of those teams that lost the Super Bowl the following season, they were a little over 500. But in the second half of the season, you saw them really pick it up and play like 630 ball or something. So they were much stronger as the season went on. The thing maybe working against the Bengals in that standpoint is the their, their schedule is really backloaded as far as what you would consider substantial competition. So early on, depending on how you feel about certain teams, Dallas is going to be a good game. We'll have Baltimore, New Orleans, but I wouldn't say like New Orleans is the same Drew Brees, New Orleans. So you're not necessarily no. scared of them. 
But after the week 10 bye, you've got the Titans, you've got the Chiefs, you've got the Buccaneers, you've got potentially the Browns with Deshaun Watson back, you've got the Patriots, you've got the Bills, like it goes on and on. So I hope they don't start slow because if they do, it's going to be tough to make up any ground in the back half of the season. So you mentioned, you know, as I was talking about the the youth on this team, I don't, the, this team doesn't strike me as a group of guys that are necessarily phased by how last year ended that are dwelling on how last year ended. You kind of, what are they going to say in interviews? Right. But like Joe Burrow and Jamar chase and those guys, they've all talked about, yep. Watch the game. Maybe once moved on or onto the season type of thing. So I don't get the the feeling that this is a team that's really, I don't know. You think about like a team that, that maybe is full of uh 34 year olds. They're thinking that was our chance. That was our yeah. chance. These guys don't like Jamar chase. All he knows is a super bowl. He's played one year and he made to the super bowl. Like for him, it's like, all right, that's our expectations. We got to go back. So I'm not necessarily worried about it. I wouldn't be shocked. I guess if they started off a little slower than we anticipate, maybe lose a game they shouldn't early on, but Overall, it's not a main concern for me playing into their season. And I find a lot of the time when it comes to that quote-unquote Super Bowl hangover, these are teams that went all in. They may This might be their only run. They get there, they lose, and then they have to blow it up at that point. And, and they lose some guys. And, and I don't see that with this Cincinnati group. And that's why I, I'm not a big believer in thinking that that's going to happen. I like that you pointed out the schedule because – yeah, it is very backloaded. And and this is where, like, from a betting perspective, we'll talk about it in a little bit. But you start to get a little bit worried of if they don't get to a certain win total by X week, then they're going to have to pick up some good wins down the stretch. Not that they aren't capable of doing that. We saw that last year. You talked about the Ravens, the Chiefs. You beat them twice. Like, this is a team that can beat quality teams. They believe that they can. They're just going to have some of those tougher teams later on in the year. So, I'm not a believer in this team as a Super Bowl hangover team. This is a very tough conference that only got better over this offseason. Yep. Um, they're going to need to pick up those wins early on because once you start going down the list of how many good teams there really are in the AFC, you know, you're going to have to probably get to 10 wins in order to get into the playoffs this year. And that that's a great segue into that win total because it's at nine and a half. That's where Vegas is set it at. They seem to think that this group either has the ability to equal what they were like in the regular season, or maybe they just slightly take a step back at nine wins. Now, I'm a big believer in that they're going to hit the over here. I think this is a 10-11 win team. I do like the division as a whole. Um, Cleveland, we don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson's situation. If he doesn't play this year like Roger Goodell's pushing for him not to, well, then you get Jacoby Brissett twice. And then you also get Mitchell Trubisky twice. Then you get the Ravens a couple times. Let's see how their health is this year. We know that they struggled with some injury issues last year. So I don't think they have the toughest division, depending on how this Deshaun Watson situation uh, goes. And then when you look at some of these non-division games that you get, you've got the Jets on the schedule, the Falcons. You get to play the NFC South as well, where outside of the Bucks, you're really not that sold on any of the other teams there. So I do think that there's wins there to be picked up. Down the stretch, when you close with Chiefs, Bucks, Bills, that's going to be tough. But if you get a lot of those wins early on, then you could cruise past this overline, I think, at nine and a half. So what are your thoughts on that line, the nine and a half win total? 
Yeah, I've um, I've tried to not be over the top biased in my, you know, I did a schedule <laughs> release episode and I've done another episode where we talked win total stuff. So I've tried not to be over the top biased. I do think, though, this team can win 11 games if they squeaked out a 12th win. Would I be shocked? No. But I do, you know, that would it that would mean we win every game we're supposed to win and maybe a couple that we're not supposed to. I think 10, though, is a very safe number to me. So to answer your question, I, I would take the over. You mentioned the division. I think there is a strong argument to say we're going to sweep the Steelers. At worst, we're we're splitting with the Ravens. And I think at worst, we're splitting with the Browns. And I say that because the Browns. For whatever reason, the way they play always, I mean, Baker Mayfield never lost to the Bengals hardly like, and I don't think Baker Mayfield's a great quarterback. It's just something about the Browns. So wouldn't be shocked even if Brissett somehow, it, it would be one of those games where uh, Chubb and Hunt have 220 yards rushing and yeah. Brissett doesn't have to do anything. But um, so we split with those guys. You're already looking at four wins. You, you mentioned the Jets, you mentioned the Panthers, you mentioned the Falcons. There's seven wins. Uh, you mentioned the Saints. I think they're a beatable team. Uh, I'm honestly not scared of the Titans. I know they've been good. I'm just personally not scared. I think we match up very well with them. I like our matchup with the Patriots. Uh, I just think, again, you've got the Chiefs who we've beaten the last two times. There's so many areas there where I could say, if this, you know, flip a coin on a couple of those games, flip a coin on the Chiefs game. Well, if you lose that game, I'm going to say we're going to also win maybe another coin flip game against the Patriots or against the Bills or whatever it may be. So I can find myself 10 wins pretty easily. You did mention, you know, the first half of the schedule. I do think they would really set themselves up nicely to be seven and two going into the bye. If they were six and three going into the bye, though, I think they could still get to that 10 win mark. They're just going to have to win some tough games. Yeah. And a team like this, I think they can peak at the right time, which is late in the year when you have to play some of these teams. I would actually be more concerned if the schedule is flipped because then. Okay, maybe you don't get out to the start that you want. You play the Chiefs early, you play the Pats, Bills, whatever. And then maybe you're sitting there at two and three and you're concerned of, oh mm -hmm. man, are we going to have the hangover? But by this point, you you could have racked up eight, nine wins. Your confidence is high and then you get to go in and play some of these teams. So I would be concerned with this line if it was 10 and a half because I feel good about 10 wins. If it was 10 and a half, then I'm like, okay, yeah. is there an 11th win in it there? Would give you, it would give you pause, definitely, yeah. Yeah, and so you you would pause for a second. Now, when we're talking about this division, assuming the Deshaun Watson situation doesn't go as planned for the, those Cleveland fans, now the Bengals are still second as far as Vegas goes to win this division. You've got the Ravens at plus 115. You got the Bengals at plus 190. Now, I would bet just personally... Bengals to make the playoffs straight up. I like them to make the playoffs at minus 143, and I would feel comfortable with that. But I know a lot of people like to do division parlays where they pick a division winner all over the place. And this is one that's probably going to be, you're going to take a second to pause and really think about it because Bengals were the best team in this division last year, but then the Ravens dealt with their injury issues. So how do they bounce back? Do they bounce back to win the division? I love the value of the Bengals to win at plus 190. You're obviously a Bengals fan. So what's your confidence level on them winning the division this year? I think it's going to be tough. I think um, I feel confident, but I don't know if I feel confident enough to to bet on it. Um, yeah. I think the Ravens and, and Bengals fans would hate that you give the Ravens any kudos at all because <laughs> they have become our new arch enemy, even somewhat overtaking the Steelers right now, the whole state that they're in. 
I mean, they're going to be starting Mitch Trubisky or Mason <laughs> Rudolph. Like, come on. Uh, but yeah, the Ravens and a lot of their fans are pretty relentless on Twitter as far as, hey, we were injured last year. That's why you beat us, even though we did beat them when Lamar played. Uh, we did beat them when their defensive backs played. In fact, Jamar Chase put 200 plus yards on Marlon Humphrey's head. So we have beat them when they had some of their key guys healthy. But you look at the Ravens schedule and I think you would be foolish to just count them out. You know, they play a lot of the same opponents we have, the Jets and uh, the Dolphins, if you want. I don't know if they're an easy, as easy win as they used to be, but they get the Giants, they get the Jaguars, they get some of these opponents that we don't get um, necessarily. And that worries me a little bit um, as far as it comes to to win loss at the end of the season. It's kind of a, a... crummy answer but i this isn't this is a case where i would not at all be shocked if it's one of those things that comes down to tiebreakers because i think i could look at the raven schedule and say yeah i see 10 wins there maybe 11 and that's the same thing i see for the Bengals. and so because i think it's going to be so close it would just be something i wouldn't be extremely comfortable i mean you mentioned how strong the afc is 10 10 wins might get you a wild card spot yeah (laughs) like um so 10 wins is nothing to be like oh we, we didn't win the division i mean you might need 11 wins to win this division and you might need 11 or 12 wins to win the AFC West. Like there's a lot of tough teams in the AFC. So I don't feel strongly enough about it. I don't think to, to put a confident bet down on that. This is a situation as well, where a good buddy of mine, Dylan and I, we always put in the division parlays and we do too, because there's usually a couple divisions where you're like, okay, we're pretty torn on who we like here. So you have one, slip that's got the Ravens one that's got the Bengals and then you're just hoping that they all line up perfectly and then you hit a big payday but overall I do like the Bengals a lot heading into this year and I'm sure a lot of people do from a fantasy perspective as well because when you look at how many players on this team are fantasy relevant this year it gets you pretty excited so we're going to start with QB we'll go running back wide receiver and tight end don't typically touch on kicker and defense, although I will say Evan McPherson after last year's playoff run, one of my favorite players <laughs> yes. in the league now. I think his confidence is just amazing for a guy that young. So quarterback-wise, you got Joe Burrow, which I go off based off the sleeper app rankings, where they have him right now. They've got him at quarterback five. They've got him at an ADP of 52, which puts him in that fourth, fifth round range. You've got the guys ahead of him are Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson. So he is ahead of Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts. What do you think of where he's going? Would you take him fifth round or are you a guy that maybe waits a little bit later on to draft a quarterback fantasy wise? Yes. So to to answer the first question, I I think that's about appropriate QB five. I think the difficult thing in fantasy these days is separating your NFL fandom and your fantasy fandom or fantasy football Uh, prowess or whatever it may be because those rushing quarterbacks are invaluable when it comes to racking up fantasy points so would I rather my team have Joe Burrow or Jalen Hurts in real life well I would rather have Joe Burrow honestly as my franchise quarterback on my fantasy team I could definitely see how Jalen Hurts outscores Joe Burrow this year potentially Uh, he's got some new weapons there as well to answer your second question yes I am a guy that punts on quarterback a little bit um I like waiting. I don't know what his ADP is right now, but like a guy like Kirk Cousins loves scooping that dude up. I mean, he flies under the radar every year. He's probably outside of the top 10 or fringe top 10 type of guy that you can get in round seven or eight, like whatever it may be. I usually am am loading up on running backs early, wide receivers, mid rounds, and then getting whatever quarterbacks there in eight, nine, 10, something like that. 
I agree with you there. Like Kirk is another guy that I like to have. I stash him on my bench, but I like, I just play the QB matchup then. Like I might go round nine, 10. I go a back to back of Brady Kirk or, mm-hmm. or maybe mm-hmm. it's Stafford Kirk. And then you're just playing the matchups every yep. week when it comes to QB play, because at the end of the day, when we're talking about where he's going right now, like you're giving up on teams, number one wide receiver in order to draft quarterbacks. So unless you're getting, and unfortunately a guy like Josh Allen, you got to go second round in order to get him. Once again, I don't think it's worth it. So it is easier for me, in my opinion, to punt it down the road. You're still, you might fall behind at the QB position a couple points every week, but mm-hmm. that wide receiver gap between a team's wide receiver one and then exactly. a flex play guy is so big. So I would agree there. Now, Joe Mixon is a guy that I swore off from fantasy for a couple years there. Until <laughs> you're not, you're year. not alone in that. You know? <laughs> and funny enough, it was, it was my one league that I had him, and I was disappointed when I got him because I'm like, Oh, now I'm going to have to play the Joe Mixon game. And if you played the Joe Mixon game last year, you're absolutely thrilled. We're talking about running back three in standard running back four in PPR. Now he's going just behind Najee Harris. He's still a first round running back though. ADP 10. So 12 team league, you're looking at him at the tail end of your draft and he is ahead of Deandre Swift. And so I like Mixon a bit more than Harris, just because of the offense that he's in the O-line that he's behind now. I'm a bit more comfortable with him. So what do you think of Joe's year last year? Do you think that he's going to continue to roll this year in that Bengals offense? Yeah, I think um, Najee Harris gets a lot of love. He's he's definitely talented, but he gets a lot of love because of the volume, which you love your running backs to have in fantasy. But Joe Mixon ranked third in the NFL in rush attempts last year. So no slouch Joe Mixon himself. Yeah. And we mentioned some of the offseason additions they've made and you know, along the offensive line were the big ones. Lel Collins is somebody they added from Dallas. You may be familiar with him um, at the right tackle familiar. position. Uh, he ranked as the number one right tackle and run blocking grade last year, which, you know, obviously helps Joe Mixon. And Warren Sharp had a great stat that he put out a couple weeks ago that I have been using left and right and everywhere else because it kind of it was a stat that if you watched Bengals games, you're like, ah, that makes sense. The highest percentage of rush attempts contacted in the backfield. Cincinnati was number one in 52% of their rush attempts. There was contact in the backfield. So, you know, most of those rush attempts, I think Joe Mixon had 80 plus percent of our carries on our team. So the majority of our carries are Joe Mixon. Half the time he's getting hit in the backfield and he was still, what, what was he in last year? Uh, PPR he was finishes. running back for PPR yeah. wise. Yeah. So, like, I mean, he was incredible. able to do all that with a pretty inefficient offensive line. And he didn't do it. Granted, he had a lot of carries, but he didn't do it with like 340 carries or something extremely unsustainable. I wouldn't be shocked if he saw another 275 to 290 carries. And I know the touchdowns were up a little bit last year, which helped buoy his uh status a little bit there but I don't really necessarily see that coming down because I do think the Bengals offense has room to grow actually they were struggling in short yardage situations last year they were struggling in the red zone they took the most red zone sacks in the NFL last year with eight which obviously impacts your ability to get touchdowns those are usually ending in field goals so Evan McPherson owners are pretty happy with that but I, I would say there's an opportunity still for Joe Mixon to get a lot of opportunities inside the 10-yard line, at the goal line, and I think this is a team that's going to be scoring a lot. So I think into the first round, I'd be comfortable with him. As much as I love DeAndre Swift for fantasy, I would have a hard time taking Swift over Mixon because of 
uh, the, the volume, especially. I mean, Swift is more the pass catcher guy, but he's splitting a lot with Jamal Williams. And yeah, the, the offense is kind of, you know, it's helmed by uh, Josh or J- Jared Goff. So <laughs> I don't feel yeah. as comfortable there. Yeah, you never feel comfortable when you've got Jared Goff at the helm for sure. And <laughs> and I love that stat. That's one that I wasn't familiar with. And that might have sold me on Joe Mixon once again in drafts, knowing that the offensive line got better. And it's why I like him more than Najee Harris, because the Harris volume is going to be there, but he's averaging only like three yards a carry. Like he he was fantasy relevant just because of the yards and the amount of work that he was getting. But is that work sustainable? behind a poor offensive line because they didn't really address it in the offseason. You've now got Trubisky there. You had Juju move on. So I like Mixon a lot more. I would be prepared to reach on him, get him at, you know, maybe the the seven spot where Najee's supposed mm-hmm. to be going in drafts instead. And so I, I do like Mixon from a fantasy perspective for sure. But he's not the only Bengals player that's going in the first round in fantasy drafts right now because Jamar Chase he is wide receiver three. His ADP is nine. So he's one spot ahead of Mixon. And he's only behind Cooper Cup, Triple Crown, and Justin Jefferson there with the Vikings. So he's even ahead of Devontae Adams right now on Sleeper Out. That's how much they love this guy. Now, I really like where he's at. I'm not a guy that drafts wide receiver first round. So it's something that I'm probably not going to have Jamar Chase on many fantasy teams. But he's not the only wide receiver in this offense. You can get T. Higgins in the third round and you can get Tyler Boyd even as a flex play in the 10th or 11th round. Mm -hmm. So looking at the three wide receivers where they're going, if you could have chase in one Higgins in three or Boyd a little bit later on in 10 or 11, which one would you, would you tend to favor? Uh, Personally, I would go Higgins pretty easily uh, because my typical build is running back, running back early on. And then I'm snagging a wide receiver And in round three to get T Higgins, I think is a great value. And it might seem a little steep if you look at his end of season numbers and say, okay, well, he had like, you know, a thousand, eleven hundred yards, a thousand yards, whatever it was last year. It wasn't a banner year necessarily like Jamar Chase had, but he did miss some time last year. Uh, We expect him to be healthy. He had the shoulder surgery, I believe, this offseason. So he is back at camp now. And one area where I sort of mentioned the Bengals struggled last year was in the red zone. And I would expect that in the red zone, you're going to see T. Higgins be way more involved. Uh, He just had a great clip the other day. uh, Actually, I think it was yesterday, really mossing one of our defensive backs in the end zone who had great coverage, by the way. But T. Higgins is six foot five and can jump. So uh, I don't know if you've seen any of his basketball highlights from high school, but he literally was like a uh, dunking machine out there. So (laughs) it's not to me like he's your target. Jamar Chase is always the target for Joe Burrow pretty much is his first read, but T Higgins is going to have a lot of opportunities in the red zone. And if we are getting down there as often as we did last year, and we're not taking as many sacks and we're getting more actual touchdown scoring opportunities, I think you're going to see, because I think T Higgins only has six touchdowns each of the last two years. And that's a number that if it goes up to, let's say he has the same 10, 10, 50, 1100 yards, and he has 10 touchdowns instead where was his finish last year that, you know, so I think that even if the yardage is capped a little bit by Jamar chase and he's not, you know, barring an injury, knock on wood T Higgins, isn't going to be a 1400 yard receiver likely, but if you can get 1100 yards and 10 touchdowns out of him, I'll take that in round three all day. Yeah. You'd feel comfortable with that being your wide receiver one very Mm -hmm. easily. I'm with you on the running back, running back. And then you're looking at wide receiver there. 
Um, unless guys like Keenan Allen, who are going probably a half round earlier, unless they're falling, then I feel really confident having a guy like T Higgins being my number one. I even like Tyler Boyd. Like if I can throw him in at the flex spot, I'm probably using him more so on bye weeks than anything else. Mm -hmm. You're hoping that it's the Tyler Boyd week where he maybe catches a 50, 60 (laughs) yard bomb. And then you look like a genius, but you can also have, that's kind of what Marvin Jones was forever where you're like, (laughs) he could get one catch for eight yards or he could have four catches for 150 and two touchdowns. I started, I started Marvin Jones. I believe it was in, I don't even want to guess the year. It was the the mid 2010s. I started him in a fantasy game. He was a late addition to my lineup. I go to the Bengals game that day. This is before I had season tickets, so I did not go very often. And they're playing the Jets, and Marvin Jones catches four touchdowns. And I'm watching this, not only rooting for the Bengals, but I'm thinking, my fantasy team is crushing today (laughs) with four touchdowns from Marvin Jones. But like you said, you also had to live with the one catch for eight-yard day from him. Uh, It's just kind of the nature of the beast. (laughs) Exactly. I feel like everyone has a Marvin Jones story, either good or bad. You've you've been Marvin Jones or Jones somebody at some yep. point. So he's definitely that guy. And I think Boyd kind of has that potential too in this offense when you've got a guy that he can get that deep ball very easily because um, they're covering Chase and Higgins. They're trying not to get beat by them. Now, tight end wise, last year, CJ Uzama was a pretty solid tight end to have. Um, if you kind of punted tight end down the road, He's obviously not there this year. You got Hayden Hurst at tight end 24. To me, he's a waiver wire guy, but he's a guy that kind of has some potential just because of the offense that he's in. Like if he develops some chemistry with Joe in the red zone, then you could get some red zone touchdowns out of him. But he's a guy that I would probably just have his waiver wire. And I think he's going to be waiver wire in most leagues. But what do you think of Hurst in this offense? Yeah, I agree. It's going to be hard. Like even though the training camp reports right now are glowing about Hayden Hurst and how great he's looking. One, he's doing it with our backup quarterback, Brandon Allen, as Joe Burrow is not yet back to practice after his appendectomy. So it's not necessarily a chemistry with Burrow. It's more just he looks really good out there right now. And and I talked about it today on an episode I did on my podcast. Is it, That's good to hear. That's obviously great when your players are performing well in training camp. But it's not a piece of news that I'm necessarily reacting to or overreacting to because if everybody's healthy – Hayden Hurst is at best the fourth option in the offense. Even Mixon, who uh, I believe had his second most targets last season of his career, potentially is a target in in the read before Hayden Hurst. So he's potentially fifth option in the offense. So it's really hard to get excited for him. You mentioned waiver wire. I mean, he would be a guy that probably people would be uh, jumping all over themselves to try to get if there was some sort of injury to one of the three receivers, because obviously he then takes on, you know, moving up the pecking order, takes on a little bit more, value but he's not one that i'm probably going to be leaving any drafts with myself no i think unless you're in an extended like 14 16 team league i think he's going to be there on the waiver wire you're hoping obviously never hope for injuries but you're hoping just from a depth chart perspective that he would then move up in the pecking Mm -hmm. order as you said so um, i think that's the only reason why you would really have a guy like hayden hurst on your roster but um taylor this was a ton of fun man i'm really glad that i had you on the show Uh, Tell the folks at home where they can find your work and what are your expectations for the Bengals this season? (laughs) Uh, The the general fan base expectation is Super Bowl because uh, that's, you know, that's what we know now and that's what everybody expects. (laughs) I would say from a realistic fan perspective, I understand how hard a repeat Super Bowl is. For me, the bear, 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 bear minimum expectation is you're going to the playoffs, ideally winning at least one playoff game. 
um, and build having something to build upon for the next year. Obviously, would love to get back to the Super Bowl if possible. But uh, you can find me out on Twitter at underscore Taylor Cornell. Pretty much all my tweets are Bengals centric. <laughs> Sometimes uh, I used to do fantasy stuff writing for some websites and I have like uh, eight dynasty teams. So I play a lot of fantasy. So every <laughs> once in a while, you'll see some fantasy tweets. Usually on Sundays, I'll tweet about a random player and you'll be like, that's not a Bengal. Uh, and that's because he's in my lineup. So you might see some of those every once in a while peppered in. And as you mentioned at the top of the show, I also have a podcast called the Who Day Den. Uh, those are much more regular episodes as the season kicks off a lot of game recaps, previews and things like that. Um, but I just had a couple of guests on in July, a couple of beat writers, one for ESPN, one from the athletic to talk a little bit about the Bengals and training camp and expectations. So any fan of the team definitely want to check those out. Those were a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll definitely be linking your, your podcast in our description there with the episode. Um, funny enough, like you talk about eight dynasty teams before I came on here. I was having a chat with the wife and unfortunately I opened a TikTok where guys were talking about, well, what, what's the correct amount of fantasy leagues to be in? And for whatever reason, they were saying, oh, like two leagues is perfect. And I'm like, I don't know in what world two leagues is perfect. <laughs> and then she kind of gave me the look of like, two seems about right. And it's like, she's yeah. like, wait, how many are you in? <laughs> it, and, you know, last year I told her, I think I said I was in six. It turned out I was in like nine or 10. So I got to cut it down a little bit this mm -hmm. year. Otherwise, uh, my marriage might be a little bit short lived. <laughs> so um, definitely go and check out Taylor's show. Uh, appreciate you coming on once again. And uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow for the Daily Competitive Hedge podcast.